0: Welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast. I'm Mindy McGrath, healthcare industry learning lead and public health sector advisor, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel.
1: Hello, you're listening to the Dynamic High Five Podcast. It's our take on healthcare topics that are real, they are relevant, and worth talking about. We view the healthcare industry as five interwoven sectors, and we'll be exploring topics relevant to one or many of these sectors.
0: This is episode one Home is Where the Health Is. Today, we'll break down the changing landscape of home care, specifically home infusion services, and what this emerging segment means for the industry. We'll talk about why home infusion therapy, the administration of intravenous drugs and therapies in a patient's homes, remains underutilized despite steady market growth. And friend of Dynamic, Connie Sullivan. Vice President of Research and Innovation for the National Home Infusion Association will join us to discuss how the $11 billion home infusion industry is ripe for growth and how it aligns with consumerism, a very hot topic in the healthcare industry. And stick around for our parting thought of the day that interesting thing that we've seen, heard, or discussed that we're interested in also sharing with you. So, Ryan, It's our inaugural episode of High Five Podcast. So exciting. Yeah, it's a really cool first for us. Um, As we were trying to think about what we launch with, I mean, this topic seemed really interesting to both of us because it's beyond the headlines. It's Mm -hmm. something that maybe is not getting the kind of attention that is warranted, uh, but it just seemed like one of those really interesting topics that we could explore in-depth. So it's nice to get it up and running.
1: It sure is. Uh, yeah, It's really exciting to kind of explore this topic. And you mentioned getting up and running. And <clears throat> speaking of running, I, I, as you know, enjoy working out. It's my therapy. And I was and have been working out on my stationary bike that is in, connected in the home, you know, in the whole industry of the Internet of Things and, and such. And it's really interesting how germane that is to this topic we're talking about, the idea of Personalized homebound anything, and in this case, treatment. We're going to talk about because the home healthcare industry is no different than a lot of these industries trying to cater to consumers and buyers inside the home, and not a lot of people know about it. And it's an increasingly burgeoning opportunity for not only healthcare providers but the policymakers in state legislature in DC, and and also patients to collectively create. Not only consumerism, as you mentioned, but some better cost containments, better outcomes for patients, and prioritize their the patient engagement, which is key um, for these homebound individuals and their families. So it's it's all happening. I know there's, you know, we are connected to this home topic in many ways, both professionally and personally. So I'm super excited.
0: Exactly. So a little housekeeping before we get started. I have here a jargon jug. So every time we use industry slang or jargon a dollar is going to be added to this box. It's just a little way for us to stay true and stay away from huh. some of that industry slang that I know we can sometimes get um, you know, sucked into.
1: We are consultants. <laughs> we try not to be so consultant-y.
0: Exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about healthcare in the home. Let's talk about healthcare and home infusion. This topic I think really resonated for both of us considering just the overall growth in home care services. And home infusion in particular seems to be one of those topics that flies under the radar. But it's interesting because it is about delivering medicines that aren't capsules, they're not tablets, and they do require more support than what a traditional product would require because you're talking about needing clinical support, you need some medical devices to be able to actually take into the home and then to compound the the product and be able to deliver it to an individual. And I think when we were we're talking about why has there been so much growth in home infusion, if if you step away from from just the actual act of, of conducting home infusion therapy and really look at where the products are pivoting to in the pharmaceutical market, many of them today are moving into this specialty arena. And specialty drugs can be administered differently than these traditional tablets and capsules um, because they're a large molecule and they have to be delivered just in a way that's going to be more effective for them. Um, so that's traditionally going to be an intravenous.
1: Yeah, and I think that the paradox of that is interesting uh, before we get into the details of all that because human nature would say that taking a pill or a tablet or a capsule seems to be the easiest. But this new way of developing, designing, and producing drugs that require infusion and injection, is actually, we'll learn, is better for the patient, more effective, and may cause a better, or, or may create a better quality of life for patients.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for the user, right, that means that if they're, they're, there's some options for them in terms of how they receive this infusion therapy. They can go to a hospital, an infusion center, which has typically been the, the predominant pathway that mm-hmm. most patients have taken. And now we're seeing that there's a lot more opportunity opening up for the care to actually come to them in the home.
1: Right, and that's more and that's more advantageous for patients.
0: Yeah, right, the, right, because there's a comfort, a comfort, a convenience factor um, that really aligns with this concept of consumerism that we're hearing a lot about in the healthcare industry. I think if you just take the word consumerism, which obviously we probably need to put money in the jar. We probably jar.
1: owe five dollars to right. the jar, and we might owe five dollars more.
0: Right, but I'd say what consumerism really is like one of the crux parts of it is really meeting patients where they want to be met, and um, making sure that you're centering on what their needs and their preferences are. Uh, And I think the other thing that's interesting about why home infusion therapy is is emerging and on a growth trajectory is new technology. I mean, think about all the technology that's been introduced through the years to be able to remotely monitor and. Track how patients are doing when they're outside the four walls of a provider setting. So, bringing medication to the home now seems like something that's much easier to do than it was even a decade ago.
1: For sure. And we have hit on a lot of topics of why this is happening. And, you know, I think many people would argue, and rightfully so, that healthcare is probably the last industry to embrace this idea of consumerism. And they have the tools, they have the technologies to do it. So that's why home care and home infusion is such a meaty topic these days. And there are a lot of external factors. And one of the things that I think we should mention is this increased population of what I'll call the baby boomer generation. And that may be, uh, it may not be a healthcare consultancy term, but it sure does deserve a dollar in the jar. Mm -hmm. But life expectancy for these folks is longer. And if you talk to any one of your family members in that demographic, they are stubbornly against the idea of hospitalization, nursing homes, and they're concerned about safety and they should be. Um, You know, we've done a lot of reading about studies in the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. They say that 90% of Americans would prefer to spend their final days at home. And we're not saying that infusion is the final days at home, but just think about that. If we have an ability to deliver drugs and products At home versus staying in a hospital, I mean, it's a no-brainer. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is CMS, also estimates that even though the elderly population was 13% in 2010, which is one of the latest studies we saw, it accounted for almost 35% of the expenditures for healthcare. So as that healthcare expectancy rises in the future, we know that the cost of healthcare will expect it to be rise too. And it's really important while I'm spouting off topics and, and, and studies. A really interesting study happened just this year, which was a state scorecard for long-term services and some support for older folks with physical disabilities. And it was just clear in that article that home care was much less costly.
0: So there's some promising studies that suggest that home care and more specifically home infusion is both co- less costly, but it's also preferred. Um, as an alternative for patients to receive therapies elsewhere. You know, when we think about what's going on in the healthcare market today, I mean, one word comes to mind when we're thinking about home healthcare and home infusion, and that's outcomes. Um, is home infusion more effective? Is it leading to better recovery for individuals? How is it? You know, how are the outcomes um, playing themselves out? as we look at home infusion. And can we say, you know, more definitively that it is producing really clear outcomes that fit, n- not maybe not fit nicely, but align well with um, the conversations that are being had right now and some of the pressures on on providers to really be able to show or just prove that their line of service or what they're doing is better and right. producing better, better outcomes in the long term.
1: Well, I think that's been... Um, a struggle for this industry for many years. And and you talked about the incentives that the healthcare community gets from outcomes and how that's going to evolve even more, no matter who's in office or who's leading the country. I think that's a a standard approach. It's also about the patient as well, right, Mindy? So I want to take medications or I want to get treatment that will make me better, right? So there's this two-pronged approach. And, you know, as I mentioned, there hasn't been a lot of studies about that, but recently... Retail giants, Walgreens and CVS, did a collaborative and, and comprehensive effectiveness study on home care infusion, and it's been published in about every reputable periodical in the last year. And, and in a nutshell, the study found that infusion care is safe, it's clinically effective, and it improves the quality of life while reducing costs. When you compare that, that home care infusion to that delivered in a hospital or a clinic that you'd mentioned before, so um, I felt like it might be important for us to kind of go through some of these home infusion therapies and some of the, the studies, and we might get into the details. But I think it's important for not only the healthcare community but for the community in general to know what sort of things we can treat at home with high outcomes. So one of the one of the big infusion therapies is for nutrition, and these are for these are parenteral nutrition patients who receive this nutrition through an IV catheter. And this is a big part of home infusion. It's a large swath of of patients that typically, or in the past, have had to go to a clinic and get this done. Um, This study that CVS and Walgreens did showed that even patients at risk for refeeding syndrome, which is a very common um, problem that is associated with this therapy, was mitigated. The study found that the beneficiaries who received this home infusion at home uh, through this tube in their stomach returned to eating solid foods within 16 months or less. And clinically speaking, that is a goal for most of these patients. Um, There's also a lot of therapies from a home infusion standpoint that can be done to treat immune deficiency and immune-mediated autoimmune conditions that you know run the gamut and this study showed that after 4000 consecutive infusions at home over 12 months 99% experienced either no or mild adverse conditions or reactions and we're talking like headaches and that kind of stuff so and none out of those 4000 experienced serious adverse reactions that's a big deal and you know one more thing before we move on one of the other large swaths of patients getting home infusion or infusion in general is for congestive heart failure, which is unfortunately a big problem in the United States and in the world. And CHF patients late stage can be discharged at home now and receive what's called inotropic infusion therapy. And it has shown through this study that it will lower the readmission rate by 50%, that's 5-0, compared to national data on less severe patients. So, I mean, there's been a lot of great studies. And I, you know, I, I want to wrap this part up by saying it's not just about the incentives that physicians will get, but it's about making patients better. And it's clear that home infusion may be one of those things that can help us
0: absolutely take it to the next level. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the interesting things that we're also um, looking at is who actually delivers home infusion therapy. I mean, the, the, um, the providers and the pharmacies that are starting to enter this market, uh, it is an enticing market because home care in general is growing. But I think, you know, as a as a provider or as a pharmacy, if you're thinking about getting into this market, there's there's a couple angles to consider when you think about, well, why enter this market space? If you already have a clinic or you think this is just something you want to want to um, add as a line of service. There's always some business angle to this, right? Of course, right. So it's it's the skills. It's does your organizational structure support it? What types of technology would you need? What types of medical devices do you need? What kinds of core competencies are, are going to be needed in order to offer this this line of service? And then there's the policy piece of it. So, um, I, you know whether we like it or not, I mean policy and regulations tend to either support growth or sometimes they inhibit growth. Mm -hmm. And legislation around home infusion therapy has been pretty interesting because it's very disjointed right now. Um, If you just look at patients that are receiving home infusion therapy in the Medicare space, for instance, there is not a coordinated benefit of care right now. So there's like three different pieces of it: it's the medical device piece, it's the provider piece, and then it's the pharmacy piece. Yep. Um, so the legislation right now, there there is a fix that is slowly making its way through through Congress. But we know how things like that can can roll. Um, it can take a really long time. So I think if from a just a business angle, if you're a provider or a pharmacy and you're thinking about getting into this space, these are just some of the things that need to be considered about. This space because it can be really uh, an interesting space to get into. You got to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row around your your um, organization before you decide to adopt this line of service.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually pretty ironic. I, I hear you, Mindy, about you know the way that providers are being reimbursed for this service from a business perspective. Traditionally, what we've seen in healthcare, and I think you'd agree, is that. CMS or the government that kind of sponsors the Medicare and then at a state level Medicaid typically start and are the genesis for a lot of reimbursement for different services. And then typically the commercial payers, the folks that provide insurance for folks that are working and that will follow suit, right? And in home care infusion, it's actually the exact opposite, which is kind of a rare occurrence. The commercial payers have been reimbursing for home infusion for decades. And Medicare is very late to the game here. And I'm very excited to talk to Connie Sullivan at the NHIA to get her fee- feedback on this because it's such an interesting concept. Um, as you mentioned, there's so much that goes into compounding these drugs and you need space and storage. Um, you need to store it and effectively within the right temperature range. And then once you compound it, a lot of these drugs, like really important chemotherapy drugs and infusions for immunotherapies, really have a low shelf life. That means when they're compounded at the compounded pharmacy, they really have maybe a day or two that they remain efficacious. So a lot of, has, a lot of stuff has to go into that. So we, another interesting part of this Medicare, we'll call it fiasco or evolution, is the fact that hospital executors are very concerned about this too and expanding their home infusion services. And the issue here also is 340B. It's a jargony term, but I think it's important that we mention. The 340B drug pricing program uh, allows for for some organizations and health systems across the country to purchase these drugs at a discounted price for vulnerable and underinsured patients. And these drugs are so pricey. And the shelf life, once they're compounded at the pharmacy, may be a day or two. So there is the possibility for significant waste and cost at a healthcare organization level. So as we know, there's lots of things going on in Washington, but the CMS proposed cutting reimbursement in the 340B program in an effort to overall reduce lower drug spending. So many experts disagree with this approach, and I think that there's going to have to be some great conversation amongst policymakers, with providers, to make sure that This challenge is mitigated because, as we know, home infusion is probably here to stay.
0: Right, right. And I think um, I was trying to think about this the other day in terms of if I were in another sector and I'm considering what home infusion means to my business, uh, you know, if we just break it down. So if I think about health plans, right, so these are the payers. We talked about the commercial health plans that they typically have been – Supportive. supportive in terms of right in terms of having more of a coordinated benefit associated with home infusion and I think that's important right because if you're a health plan having the right reimbursement model in place is going to be critical uh, having the right provider network in place and the pharmacies in place to be able to string all of that together in a way that says yep this is a benefit we're going to cover and we have the right model within our organization to be able to cover it adequately and make sure that it's being delivered in an effective manner. For providers, I think we mentioned this um, earlier in our discussion, this is a great way for them to be able to get medicines to homebound patients. Um, But they have to have the right types of capabilities. They have to have the right pharmacy staff and the skill sets to be able to handle the requirements not only of the drug, but the medical device that might go with it, as well as the clinical support that needs to be mixed into the delivery of home infusion. And then finally I was thinking about life sciences the other day, because you think once again, it goes back to pivoting of where their drugs are going and um, how the delivery of that drug or that specialty or biologic product uh, really is being administered more and more through infusion therapy. Um, There is really a difference though, in where the site of care is. So site of care is a clinic or it's a hospital, there's different nuances around what that means versus a home health um, administration. And I think life sciences has a really interesting opportunity when they're actually in the development and eventual launch of a product to be thinking about different sites of care and how this emerging site of care probably needs to be considered in part of their thinking. So... I think we'll hear a little bit later about this in our interview with Connie, um, but I think this is something that I, I think about when I think about home infusion, what's it mean to other sectors. Joining us today is Connie Sullivan, Vice President of Research and Innovation for the National Home Infusion Association to tell us how things are going with home infusion services. Welcome, Connie. So we have lots of questions for you about home infusion, but before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about your organization?
2: Sure, Uh, I work for the National Home Infusion Association, and essentially we are the one association that's out there representing home infusion providers, which are typically pharmacies, but also companies that make um, products and services and supplies that support the home infusion industry. So we provide education, advocacy, and programs and research to support this industry.
1: Great, thank you, Connie. Um, before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of home home infusion, I have, I have a question for you to kick things off. If you could change one thing about our current healthcare system, what would it be?
0: Not to put
2: you on the spot. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to say because home infusion is such a multidisciplinary service it requires a lot of coordination between the physician, the patient um the patient's family, the pharmacy, and nursing is how siloed we are in healthcare. Everyone kind of has their own um piece of the care puzzle, and sometimes we don't it's not as easy as you would like it to be to to coordinate and share information about the patient's plan of care or how you're wanting to approach a patient's care plan.
0: So how has home infusion therapy evolved over time, Connie?
2: Um, That's a great question. You know, I've been a pharmacist in home infusion for over 20 years, so I've really seen the industry change quite a bit in the last two decades. And probably the most significant change has been the wider range of patients in terms of both age and acuity level that are accessing home infusion or uh, using that option for uh, IV treatment. So, used to be that it was more of an occasional thing. Now, I'd say if you needed to continue IV antibiotics for several weeks after a hospital stay, that's become more norm and uh, something that's not unusual. Um, but probably in the last maybe five to 10 years, the, the really significant trend has been how much we're seeing older patients, Medicare age patients try to access home infusion services, which is really a challenge because we still don't really have a benefit under the Medicare program for home infusion.
0: Policy always seems to be an influence one way or another. Do you anticipate a policy fix to improve the coordination of benefits
2: um, yeah, there's, there are some fixes, actually, that we're currently exploring under Part B because of a change in reimbursement for the drug portion of the benefit under Part B. But I, I think that there is legislation pending for a comprehensive home infusion benefit to try to close that gap. And fortunately for us, it's been a really bipartisan issue. Uh, we have both Republican and Democratic support on both sides to try to help solve this problem. So the the challenges are always in the mechanics of how Washington works. You know, you need a, a process that you can get your bill attached to. And so that's that's always the challenge when it comes to needing a policy fix. But uh, we're you know, we have again a lot of really strong support, so we're optimistic that this is gonna get fixed eventually.
0: So Connie, we hear the term consumerism quite a bit in healthcare circles. And I'd love to hear your perspective on how you think home infusion therapy services and consumerism actually align with one another.
2: Yeah, sure. I, I think home infusion aligns perfectly <laughs> with <laughs> what consumers are saying they want in healthcare. One, they really want more choices. They want to be educated about what their choices are. And I think when you talk to patients, if you if you just said, you know, if you had your choice, would you le- rather receive this care at home or would you like to go to a skilled nursing facility or in, a, in an office clinic, I think most people would say, gosh, if you could do this for me at home and I could maintain my normal life schedule, I could continue to work or have fewer interruptions with my kids and my family and school, I think they always would opt for that. And that's what home infusion does. And you know, the way we design home infusion therapies for our patients is every single patient gets a customized therapy for them and what their abilities are and for what they want to do in terms of their schedule. Um, So, you know, what's really neat about home infusion is, and I think a lot of people have this vision of if I'm hooked up to an IV, I have to be in bed and I'm attached to this machine on a pole. And that is so not how we work with our home patients. Most patients can be very mobile they can go back to school they could be at work they could be infusing and you would never know it because the equipment we make is really small compact in those cases they could have it literally in their pocket and you would just never see it and they can be getting their treatment and getting back to normal life and I think that's what a lot of people really want in how they would prefer to be treated they want to be treated like a patient who's recovering and not necessarily somebody who's sick and um, I think they really appreciate that home infusion allows them to not be constantly reminded of uh, maybe what they're going through with their health conditions.
1: That's great, Connie. And, you know, you talked a lot about the, the paradigm shift that goes with kind of what you see the future of home infusion being. You know, I'd like to kind of flip flip the idea a little bit. And, and we talked a little bit about, you know, things happening in Washington and CMS. But can you give another example of maybe a big challenge that the home infusion industry is facing
2: you know, I think that um, home infusion has kind of evolved you know, out of a demand for additional ways to treat patients and get them out of the hospital and treat them in a lower cost setting uh, that they actually really appreciate and And I think that what we've had to do uh, for many, many years is take drugs that were only studied for maybe administration in acute care acute care setting and figure out how can we use this drug at home and, and make sure we're doing things that are safe first and foremost. But then once we know that, you know, the safety profile for this drug is really good, um, the patient's going to need to be on it for several weeks every single day. Um, but now we're working with a drug that maybe doesn't have all the data associated with it that helps us um, design this therapy for a patient. Like, for example, uh, do we have data that shows the drug is stable at room temperature long enough to put it in a pump and things like that? So we've had to do some additional study on the drugs that we use. We've developed new equi- new equipment and containers, you know, again, trying to make this, um, this service as compatible with an active lifestyle that we possibly can. So I think that's another challenge is we really just don't consider the home as a possible site of care for a lot of the drugs that are developed that are either
0: in addition to consumerism, patient experience has also been a really hot topic in the healthcare industry. How can other sectors that you work with help make that patient experience better?
2: You know, I, you said something that was really, um, really important. I think it's that the way home infusion has originally evolved is a kind of a, an adjunct therapy that or process that gets added to the hospital stay or some sort of institutional kind of provided service and then continues that therapy. And I think one of the bigger um, changes that's occurring is we're getting more and more drugs that really don't require a hospital stay first uh, before we initiate therapy. And if I were talking to someone who's looking at the big picture of how do we view healthcare more effectively and more efficiently is looking at home infusion as one of those ways to prevent or to save the system money and really start asking questions about, do we really need to admit this patient before we initiate IV therapy? Uh, So I think that you could look at home infusion and say, not only is it a great way to shorten how long a patient has to stay in a hospital, but ask the question, could this be a way to circumvent a hospital admission for a particular patient? So I think that, that would be the question I would ask.
1: Thank you very much, Connie. I appreciate you kind of taking some time with us to, to dispel some of the myths and kind of uncover some of these great, um, great findings in home care infusion. We um, <clears throat> are so appreciative for you to take the time. And um, one of the things about this podcast is looking beyond the headlines and looking a little bit behind some of these industries. And I think uh, this discussion was very helpful.
2: Great. It is my pleasure. I always love to talk and educate everyone we can about what we do. Our clinicians are so passionate about the services we provide for patients, and our goal is to make it accessible to any patient that needs it. So thanks for the opportunity.
0: And now for our parting thought. It's that thing that Ryan and I have either seen, read, or heard that we want to share with you.
1: Thanks, Ryan? Mindy. I'm going to go first. You know, it's, it's funny. I think we, when we talked about the parting thought, we thought about what could it be in the ether of the healthcare industry space. But since we're on the topic of home care, I feel like we should talk a little bit about the actual providers themselves. And we didn't get into the detail of this, but there's a great article in The Atlantic around the forgotten providers of home care. And, you know, what's important to mention is that many of the folks seeing your parents or your brothers and sisters at home are not necessarily physicians; they're not nurse practitioners or physician assistants, but many times they are, you know, LPNs and nurses and medical assistants, and there is an economic issue there in the fact that they are underpaid, and there is a great demand for them in the industry. So I invite listeners to read that article about the need for training and focus on recruiting the right mid-level providers for these home care patients, because without them, this industry is doomed.
0: Right. And I'm going to actually diverge from (laughs) our theme today, because I read this really compelling article in Fierce Healthcare about the rise of micro-hospitals. Tiny houses seem to be all the rage, right? And now tiny hospitals are following in that trend. The economics of micro-hospitals really fascinate me. These facilities, um, if I think about them, they really lend themselves to locations where Full-scale hospitals probably could not be supported by the community, but they have significantly fewer beds. And the financials, to me, are what's interesting because there is still a building, there are still staffing requirements that bring expenses with it. So in my mind, I'm thinking the beds have to be full or they have to be near capacity in order for this economic model to actually make sense. So it'll be interesting to see how this rage in Mm micro-hospitals actually – you know sustains in the the healthcare industry, uh, but it got me thinking when I read this article about how interesting it is that we're seeing providers really try to um, try to figure out how they fill the gaps where their hospital couldn't exist. This concludes today's High Five podcast. We want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind. Please feel free to contact us at two six seven. 930 and share your message. For additional conversation about the work that we're doing in the healthcare industry or a deeper follow-up on how Vynamic can assist you with your business initiatives, please contact us at hi5, that's hi5, at vinamic.com. And you can find additional insights on the home healthcare industry on vynamic.com insights page. And for links on anything that we talked about today, visit this episode's podcast description on your favorite podcast app. Until the next time, thanks for joining us.